everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. My name is Jeff. I am one half of your uh, hosts with the mosts here. The other half is Mark A. Johnston, who is uh, joining me from uh, an undisclosed location this week. Mark, how you doing? I'm, well, I'm, I consider myself a little less than half, like a 0.48. So I have the majority stock here, is what you're saying. No, you're also a 0.48. I think there's a mysterious... Point four. Uh, Lars Newtbar might very well have <laughs> just through n- mentioning him uh, so much, he might have just gained part ownership of this podcast. That's right. And, and you know, he could carry it. I'm telling you, you and I, no chance. Lars, oh yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see when he comes on the show. I'm yes. Just, we're, just, we're still awaiting to hear back from him. Uh, stick close. Make sure to listen every week because that'll be happening soon. All right. Let's forego the tomfoolery. Let's just get right into it. Okay. All right. So let's get right into our BP segment for this week. Now, uh, Brent Phillips, current player. We don't, I mean, except for Lars Newbar, we don't often talk about current players, but I saw this, it was a, it was a note at, on a, in a stadium where he was playing and it made me have to look more into this. The note was that uh, growing up, Brett Phillips was neighbors with Randy Macho Man Savage. Wow. So wow. this is the story that he tells about that. He says, Macho Man was my neighbor from seventh until 11th grade before he passed away. Every day he'd see me riding my bike home from school and he'd call me over to play basketball. You would think one of the days, you know, one of one of the games he'd let up on me. But nope, that was not the case. I got beat every time. And you know how kids are always like one more game, one more game. He says, nope. He was the one saying one more game We're we got to keep going. And, and he'd have to say, I can't, I'm exhausted. I'm going home. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, have you ever heard Brett Phillips laugh, by the way? I don't, not that I recall. Oh my gosh. So the best way to describe it is that if you take any dinosaur sound from a Jurassic Park movie, other than the T-Rex, right? So just like a smaller dinosaur, you heard yeah. his laugh. Like his laugh is the Wilhelm scream of dinosaur movie noises, I think. Oh, man. Uh, You've got it. You've you've really got to just go on the Internet and and look it up. So just as good as his laugh, though, is his facial expression when he laughs because he squints one eye closed and his mouth just hangs open as he struggles to breathe. And between the sound and the facial expression, Anybody watching or around him can't help but lose it along with him. So I tried to find some video that I could use so you could hear his laugh. But every video when he laughs, everyone else around him just loses it as well. (laughs) So you Uh, just got to look it up on the, uh, you know, just type in Brett Phillips laugh in the uh, in YouTube and you'll see it and you will laugh. I, if, if you ever have a challenge where somebody says, show me a video where I won't laugh, just pull up Brett Phillips laughing and you will win. <laughs> Guaranteed. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So we mentioned Lars Newtbar before, but you know what? Somebody we used to talk about almost on a weekly basis that we haven't talked about for a while is big boss. Shioshi Shinju. Yes. So if you remember, uh, he's the manager for the fighters right now and has a street out of the side of this new stadium named after him, though I think they're going to change it because they're bad again this year. 
if you remember, though, before he managed and before his time here in the big leagues, he played for the fighters as well. Right. We like to call them the ham fighters. <laughs> the ham fighters, yes. So in Japan, I think we've covered this before, that the ceremonial first pitch is thrown and the leadoff batter for, for a team stands in the box and they usually swing and miss on purpose. So I saw a video this week of him when he was a player and it was against the Marines when Bobby Valentine was managing. So I thought that was pretty cool. And this very small child was throwing out the first pitch. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't have kids, so I can't equate height to age, but he was small, but this very small child insisted on throwing it from the rubber. So (laughs) he climbs up on the mound and Shinjo is the leadoff batter. So he stands in there, you know, kind of the typical, all right, I'm ready. Just throw it and I'll swing and miss. And this kid is small and he bounces it up to the plate. So it takes a hop and then it's still pretty low. But instead of swinging and missing, Big Boss golfed it to center field, (laughs) (laughs) which is dangerous because what if he's a linebacker and smacks this kid in his head? Right. No kidding. He hit it to center. I mean, already right there, it's dangerous. Yeah. I think it was a good life lesson, though, for the kid, because you can never count on somebody else to do the right thing, even if they promised. This kid now knows that. He's ready for the working world. Yeah. Big Boss out there teaching lessons. All that on stuff. top of it, as always. Yeah. Beyond that, though, Shinjo also went on to face the Marine starter and likewise golfed a single to center field to start the game. Very <laughs> consistent. It was because of that practice yeah. swing. It was like extra BP is what it really was. Yeah, yeah, very nice. All right. So, Mark, we're recording this show on May 1st. And uh, this is a big day for me. You know what May 1st is. Yes, it's the Russian New Year. Uh, For two reasons, this is a big day for me. The uh, four, well, no, we're not celebrating the Russian New Year. (laughs) I'm not even sure I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, we're we're Team Ukraine here, so we're not, definitely not going for that. But May 1st, Ricky Henderson breaks Ty Cobb's record. Happy anniversary to those who celebrate, like myself. There you go, yes. So... Uh, we've talked a lot about stolen bases and the new rules, the bigger bases, all that. And uh, I mean, we've we've made mention several times that I, at least I have that I think it might be too easy <laughs> to steal bases now. Um, but maybe I'm just hyper focused on stolen bases. So I think there are really more than there are. Or maybe that first week or two guys were just running wild and now it's starting to slow down as teams of maybe starting to learn to how to combat that stuff. But I saw some numbers here where they compared stolen bases per game and stolen base attempts per game to 1987, which I would not consider the height of the stolen base era, but it's close. It's, you know, a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. But this year, so far, teams are averaging 1.38 stolen bases per game. In 1987, they averaged 1.70 stolen bases per game. So about a half a stolen base less, but still it's it's going up. It's it's trending upward. The stolen base attempts this year so far are one point seven three. And in 1987, it was two point four three. So almost two and a half stolen bases attempted per game in 1987. Which is right in my sweet spot for sure when, you know, it's my favorite time of of baseball. Absolutely. People were running wild. Yeah. 
So, I, I mean, right now they're almost about a still a stolen base attempt away per game from matching 1987. But this is this also does mark match the uh, the 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 end of the first month of the season. We we've been playing for a month now, so I was curious, what was Ricky Henderson's greatest month to start a season? How many? What was the most he stole? And to no surprise, it was 1982. He stole 32 bases. <laughs> in, in the month of April. In, well, in the first month of the season, yes. Okay. Wow. Uh, so uh, that's pretty impressive. Then in 88, so actually this is a year after 87 where we were just doing this comparison, he stole 31. Wow. So that's still a lot. After that, it drops a bit to 22 and 19. And these are all in the early to mid 80s, you know, when he was unstoppable on the base paths. But I, I, I guess stolen bases are not, they're not quite as prevalent as they are in my mind right now just because i i think i hyper focus on them because i love them so much yeah i think to me i think i feel like i've seen more stolen base attempts and i've definitely seen more uh defensive highlights and i've heard it postulated that because the shift has been banned that's why we're seeing more defensive highlights hmm. that's uh that's an interesting Interesting take. I didn't. I didn't think about that. I've seen some impressive, uh, impressive picks of middle infielders trying to put slap, you know, slap the tag down on stolen bases because people are <laughs> running more. But I have not seen. I'm going to be honest. I of the stolen bases I have seen thus far, I swear ninety percent or more the runner is safe. Yeah. Not a lot of guys getting thrown out once they go. Yeah, I've seen a handful, but um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it does seem like, to me, I mean, it seems like, again, we're using this, we don't, we're not setting this up with stats or anything, but it does seem like they're always running, they're always safe. Yeah. It's Except for Daniel, I haven't seen Daniel Vogelbach yet. The great yeah, commercial well, with him saying he's going, but I haven't seen him take oh, off. Classic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got something else to talk about here. Looney Dog Night at Rogers Center came back last week. That's really, it's just a fancy way of saying it was dollar dog night. Oh, okay. Which should not be confused with bark at the park night. Those are two separate things, different dogs. But throwing out the first pitch on uh, Looney Dog Night was none other than competitive eating legend Joey Chestnut. Nice. Congratulations to him, Bay Area native. Uh, When the mustard cleared, though, 51,629 hot dogs had been consumed. (laughs) That's a lot of hot dogs. The attendance for that game was only 28,917. Oh, my gosh. That means that it was, on average, 1.78 hot dogs per person, (laughs) which that seems low to me. I mean, when I go go to a ball game, I get two hot dogs. Just when I go, you know, before the game starts, I generally go get my food. I generally get a beer and two hot dogs. Right, but there are people who won't touch a hot dog. Like my wife just doesn't eat them, you know. So you got zeros across the board there somewhere. Somebody had to make up for it. Well, if I would have been there, although you know Joey Chestnut might have consumed a good portion of those fifty-one thousand hot dogs, we, we're not sure. Do you think he still eats hot dogs for joy? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is, <laughs> is that like the old gynecologist joke? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, this uh, mark eclipses the record that was set last year 
when uh, the crowd at the Rogers Center ate 50,743 hot dogs. But get this, there were 40,000 plus fans there that night. Ah, okay. So, so that's an average of 1.2. Yeah, yes. Frankfurters per per person. So that's just lazy. They should have they should have put that up where nobody could touch it last year, but they didn't. Hmm. That makes sense. All right, uh, Ruben Sierra. Hey, yes. he was hit by a pitch on September fourth, nineteen ninety, by Cleveland Sergio Valdez. That was the last time in Sierra's career that he would be hit ever. Postseason. Wow. Regular season, he had 5,764 plate appearances after that. That's almost two decades worth of more appearances. <laughs> Never got hit all the way through 2006. Wow. That's a lot of plate appearances. The longest streak of games without getting hit by a pitch is Ruben Sierra with that 1463. Mark Lemke, we always bring that up because he never in his career got hit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, he went 1,023 games, and maybe I said plate appearances. I meant uh, Sierra went 1,463 games. That's 5,764 plate appearances. Jose Cruz, senior, is third on that list. Uh, is third on that list with 974. Then Eddie Murray. That that's incredible to me that Eddie Murray, mm. for as long as he played, went 970 games at one point without getting hit by a pitch. Wow. That's a decade. Yeah. Let's see. Mark, this, uh, wow, our show is debuting just one day before Star Wars Day this year. Yes. Just just missed it. I'm only doing one debut today. And, And once I tell you who it is, you'll understand why. Making his debut today in 1936 was none other then the uh, the guy that Ted Williams described as the greatest all-around player I ever saw. It's Joe DiMaggio. Very nice. The Clipper himself. Yeah. I mean, there are, we could spend uh, three days just going over all of his accolades. Of course, he's in the Hall of Fame, three-time MVP, 13-time All-Star, won nine World Series with the Yankees, won two batting titles, and uh, also a Major League Player of the Year. Joe DiMaggio was ranked 11th by the Sporting News when they released their uh, list of top 100 baseball players in the history of the game. Now, where exactly, Mark, did uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica list Joe DiMaggio? Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a hold of their research materials, uh, so they only listed the top 10. Uh, Oh, so he he wasn't even in the top 10. (laughs) No, unfortunately, he wasn't. Wow. Okay, well... uh, Equally as just mind-boggling, his first year on the uh, on the Hall of Fame ballot, he received exactly forty-four point three percent of the votes and finished eighth overall in nineteen fifty-three. That makes absolutely no sense. no sense. But you're thinking, all right, well, you know, they don't want to vote on his first, you know, first trip there. So second year of eligibility, he received sixty-nine point four in nineteen fifty-five. <laughs> And then uh, finally, or no, I'm sorry, in his second year. And then he was finally elected to the Hall of Fame in 1955, where he received 88.8% of the votes, finishing first on the ballot ahead of Ted Lyons, who I'm going to be honest, I am not familiar with Ted Lyons. Uh, Also, Dazzy Vance and show mainstay Gabby Hartnett. Wow. that You know what that means, though? That means still then 12% thought not good enough. 
<laughs> no, 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 not DiMaggio. He's just not quite there. Those, uh, all those first place votes probably went to Gabby Hartnett. I, w- I would hope so. So, of course, Joe DiMaggio, the record holder with a 56-game hitting streak in Major League Baseball. Also, part of the most home runs by a brother combo in history. 486 yes. between Joe and Vince DiMaggio. Joe did most of the heavy lifting here. <laughs> he did. He hit 361. Vince hit 125. Who do you think, uh, do you know who the number two brother combo is? Alou? No, they're not even not even in the top five. Hmm. So number two with 462 are the Uptons. Oh, wow. Justin and BJ. That shocked me. But uh, yeah, I mean, Justin, I, I think they're, they're both retired at this point, right? Or at least aren't playing in the big leagues. I don't know. I haven't heard their name for a year or two. Uh, Justin had 298 and BJ had 164. Then the Boyers, Ken and Cleet. In third with 444, then the Boons. I'm surprised that one didn't didn't come up in your uh, in your memory. Rattle around. They're fourth with 372, and then the Alamars, Roberto and Sandy, with mm. 322. But, Interesting. That's uh, good stuff. Yeah. So again, that was uh, that was because Joe DiMaggio, who by the way is a dunker and a Mr. Coffee spokesperson, despite not drinking coffee, made his debut today in 1936. All right, so that's going to wrap up our BP segment. Uh, ground crew out there dragging the infield, laying some, some fresh chalk down there and, and, and wetting down the infield as well. We're going to get to the main story of the show this week. And, Mark, I came across a story that was, uh, I've sat on it for a while, but it was really interesting, and I thought this would be a good time to not talk about the A's and to talk about something else. So today's story is, I mean, Mark, really, this is as close to a normal podcast that you're going to you're gonna find from us. So you just think about tuning into NPR or something where you might have some soft music and ambient sounds playing in the background while I tell this story. This is, this is kind of our Emmy-nominated podcast or whatever award podcasts get. That, I should be introducing you. Well, they, no, I do. I'm, I'm just going to talk like this for the rest well, of the... Uh, let me just introduce the show. <laughs> okay, and, and just pretend I'm in a tuxedo, too, because it's, it's gentlemen, classy. Okay. okay, here goes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeff Paulson on Masterpiece Theater. Two-strike noise. Edition. So we're going we're gonna to close this joint up this week with the story about murders, rapists, corruption, and baseball. So a couple of those things we generally don't talk about at all here, but uh, the last two, corruption and baseball, I mean, that's like every week occurrence. But so this story takes place in Rollins, Wyoming, home of uh, second baseman and nine-year MLB veteran Mike Lansing. Also, uh, Russ Leatherman uh, hails from Rawlings, Wyoming. You might know him better as the voice of Mr. Movie Phone. And maybe most importantly, uh, Rawlings, Wyoming is where one Mr. Larry Wilcox was born, otherwise known as Officer John Baker to Eric Estrada's Frank Poncharello on chips. That was most important to me, at least. We we do love our pop culture references. (laughs) Well, and I love chips. And I, for some reason, was always a John guy. I don't know, but. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, but it was also home to the now closed Wyoming Frontier Prison. 
This place could truly have been described as a wretched hive of scum and villainry. If you're looking for pop culture references, only the best and the brightest of the bottom of the barrel would be housed here. Not just the prison, but the whole town took a very old school approach to deterring crime. Criminals found guilty of committing some of the worst crimes would first be hung and then be made an example of. So, for example, there's, I'm not going to call him a gentleman, we'll just say there's this dude, he was uh, called George Parrott, who as far as I could tell is not related to Jeff Parrott at all. Oh, good. I didn't really look into it. I just wanted to mention Jeff Parrott. But he was lynched uh, after being convicted for murder. And then, this is kind of grotesque, uh, shoes were made from his skin. Oh, wow. Okay. As a deterrent. I don't know who bought them. But as a deterrent, uh, you know, for you know, if you're criminals, don't come here because we're going to mess you up. Now, I can't imagine that these were very good looking shoes, but I am willing to go out on a limb and bet you that they were still better looking than the Padres City Connect jerseys. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Has to be. It, they just look like somebody washed their home whites with uh, like the, somebody left highlighter pins in the pockets. And then they washed them and they leaked all over their jerseys. That's my description of the Padres City Connect jerseys. But so 1911 baseball, pretty much all people could talk about all over the country. Teams could be found in every city, town, village, bus stop, train stop, whatever was the main source of transportation across the country. The prison here in Rawlings was taking heat because of their harsh treatment of prisoners and the fact that they were used as free labor for the warden at the time who made a huge profit off of selling the work that they did while they were in prison. So a new warden was put in charge called Felix Alston. Alston started programs to try and help reform these prisoners while they serve their time instead of just making them be essentially unpaid labor and then reap the 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 wealth of of that fruit i don't know i'm getting a bunch of metaphors uh mixed Mixed metaphors are fun come on uh one such program was a baseball team that was put together in this prison the roster was made up of five thieves three killers three rapists and a forger (laughs) typical (laughs) typical makeup of a squad i guess we're gonna focus on two players on this team first there's george sabin So Saban was one of the worst here. He was serving time for murdering three sheep herders in their sleep as part of an ongoing feud over land between sheep and cattle farmers. So most of the local law enforcement were in the cattle rancher's pocket at this point, and they felt that shooting these three dudes in the face while they slept was justified. So when Saban was arrested, he was put in cuffs by the sheriff, which was none other than now warden Felix Alston. Uh, oh, yeah. I might also mention that Alston was also Saban's lifelong best friend. <laughs> so while serving his 20 year sentence, Saban was allowed to come and go from the prison as he pleased. He was also a pretty good baseball player and named captain of this uh, this jailhouse nine squad. The other star of the team was right fielder Joseph Seng. Like Sabin, Seng was doing time for murder. And with Seng and Sabin leading this squad, they easily won their first game against the Wyoming Supply Company Juniors 11 to 1 in July of 1911. Now, I'm guessing the Wyoming Supply Company seniors didn't want to risk getting shanked at first. So they made the juniors go and play these guys. 
<laughs> no, yes. I have no proof of that. I'm just extrapolating from the facts. So Sang hit two home runs in that first game, one of which was a grand slam. News of this game spread throughout the country, with even the Washington Post carrying a story about it under a headline reading, Slayer Scores Home Runs. Papers praised these prisoners for the professional manner, that's a mouthful, in which they carried themselves on the field. One even saying Sang, quote, played a classy game all the way through, and will petition to commute his sentence to life imprisonment. <laughs> Absolutely. If you play a classy game of baseball, you, you shouldn't be executed. Does not matter if you uh, murdered your mistress's husband. Doesn't right. matter. Well, you know, lesson learned. Yeah. So, um, pretty important to uh, remember that uh, saying here is on death row, essentially. He's scheduled to be hung. Because remember, this first game that just took place is in July. Well, Sang was set to be hanged in August. Uh, Last time I looked, August is after July. So word got around that mistakes on the field were not going to be tolerated by this team either. Players who made errors that cost the team a win would have more time added to their sentences, while (laughs) winning would lead to reduced time and even possible stays of execution which I'm guessing that's what perked Sang's ears up. You know, it, it makes sense because the further you get into the playoffs, <laughs> you're going to need the guy. You might want to, you know, commute the sentence for a month or so until the playoffs are over. Yeah, if you extend that season, you definitely want to make sure you've got your full squad, let alone your best player that's right. available. So the games were interesting to everybody, not just locally, but across the country. But there was also... A lot of gambling going on over these games. And one of the benefits of Saban basically having run at the prison and being able to come and go as he pleased is that he would leave the prison, head on down to one of the local bars and uh, pass along all the inside information about the team to gangsters, uh, along with taking a 20 percent cut of all the winnings from people gambling on these games. So he was an entrepreneur. Yes, uh, I guess that's one way to put it. So a couple of weeks later, the Prison Nine played their second game again against the juniors. The seniors still smart enough to sit this one out. The bad guys again won the game. Same score, 11 to 1. Seng once again went, uh, had a big game. He went four for four, carried the team. Rumors started to spread as Sang's execution day loomed, but the team continued to win and draw interest. Some prisoners became a little bit angry and jealous at the chance of Seng having his sentence stayed just because he could play baseball. One even attempted to kill Seng in one of the most Looney Tune methods possible. While carrying a 10-pound steel ball, which was attached to his ankle via a chain, as you would see in an old Looney Tunes cartoon, (laughs) this inmate climbed up a set of stairs and then tried to drop a box full of sand onto the head of Sang, who was standing underneath the, the balcony at this point. Sang had been talking to a guard at the time and moved away just in the nick of time to avoid this box, which was no doubt labeled Acme Sand Company, (laughs) landed right next to him, but he escaped unharmed. The next game was another win for the uh, prisoners, once again scoring 11 runs and winning 11-4. Sang's execution day, by the way, came and went, and he's still around, and he led the squad to a fourth straight win. This one a little bit closer, 15-10. to 10. 
rumors of the gambling that was taking place from Saban as well as uh, some of the other guards in the prison got around and the governor started to take a lot of heat for this. And that's where the story of the Prison Nine ends. The team was disbanded. Sang made it all the way to the next year before he was finally hanged in May. But uh, a little bit different, a little bit uh, prison talk and uh, some baseball players that I am willing to bet nobody has heard of that's That's, listening to this show before. Yeah, that's a crazy story, man. You think it was in poor form to say something like that bunt was executed perfectly. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, by the way, there is a book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes uh, if you want to uh, read more about this. The book is called The Death Row All-Stars, The Story of Baseball, Corruption, and Murder. Uh, like I said, I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you uh, want to read more about uh, the craziness that went on in uh, the home of um, the voice of Mr. Movie Phone. <laughs> there you go. Right on, man. That's interesting stuff. All right, Mark, that's going to wrap up our main uh, segment of the show. You ready to uh, you ready to go one on one? I was born ready. All right. Well, if you're new here, this final segment of the show is where we uh, Mark and I, we go mano y mano in a segment that we like to call. And so we still do wax packs. Wax pack hero. All right, so if you're new here, this is how uh, this is how we do it. We've got two packs of baseball cards here, generally from the late 80s, early 90s. Sometimes we we vary a little bit, but uh, Mark and I are going to each open a pack. We'll go through the cards, and we're going to add up the baseball reference war of uh, the card that we pull, each of the cards we pull, and uh, we'll determine a winner that way. But there are a couple of things that can add or subtract from that total. Uh, first of all, anything on the player's face, that means glasses of any sort, sunglasses, or if they can't see 10 feet in front of them without uh, glasses, those kind of things as well. Mustaches, beards, uh, really good sideburns, anything like that. Uh, if they're wearing real stirrups where we can see actual sanitary socks underneath, that's an extra tenth of a point, but the two and ones are a minus tenth of a point. If any awards were won in the year of the card, that means Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, if they were an MVP, an All-Star, or won the Gold Glove, half a point each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether they're the focus or not, that's an extra point. If Ricky Henderson shows up on any of my cards or any of Mark's cards, I'm going to get five points. And if Nolan Ryan shows up on any of mine or any of Mark's, Mark is going to get the five points. If the player... Uh, appeared in the Mitchell Report or was suspended for drugs at any point during their career. That is a minus a half a point. And if they have any, what we're going to deem just notable pop culture entries that are easily found, we're going to give them a half a point for that, unless they appeared on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Simpsons, or Seinfeld, then they will get a whole extra point. And finally, Mark, you and I are each going to pick a team, and uh, just like Ricky and Nolan, if my team comes up, I'm going to get a half a point. If your team comes up, you're going to get a half. So who are you going to go with this week? I'm, I'm going to go with the White Sox. All right. Well, then just to be contrary, I'm going to go with the Red Sox. Ooh, there you go. All right, Mark, I've got two packs of cards here. Now, they're different years this uh, this time. I've got a 1989 Donruss, and I have a 1999 Donruss. 
So I'm going to let you pick which one would you like? You know, I opened more of those 89 Donruss packs than I can even remember. So being familiar with uh, that one in particular, let's go 89 Donruss. All right, you're going to go 89. I'm going to have you go first this time because I went first last time and it didn't work out well. Uh, if we take a quick peek at the scoreboard, we are knotted up at two apiece. So uh, this is someone trying to take the early lead here. All right, Mark, let's jump right in here uh, with a pitcher for the New York Yankees. Uh, he's got a son uh, that is pitching as well. I think the uh, Al here is also on MLB Network. It's Al Leiter. Al had some good years. Let's see. The brother of Mark Leiter, the uncle of Mark Leiter Jr., so I guess he does not have a son that is uh, in the big leagues. Uh, <laughs> won two World Series during his 19 years in Major League Baseball. Seven with the Mets, seven with the Blue Jays, four with the Yankees, three with the Fish. In 1989, let's see, he split time between the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Overall, he went one and two with a 5.67 ERA, 33 innings pitched, 26 strikeouts, and a 69 ERA plus. And all of that will equal a war of minus 0.5. Like when I said he had some good years, that wasn't one of them. That was definitely not one of them. And nothing on this card is going to help you out because it's just a, a head and shoulder shot. 19, it uh, looks like 1998 with the Mets was really his best year, especially war-wise, a 6.7. Yeah, career war of 40, he couldn't get me one. <laughs> he went 17 and 6 that year, 2, 4, 7 ERA. Man, good year. He had, yeah, he was good with the Mets. I remember uh, remember the, the playoffs with him. Although, you know, yeah, obviously with the Mets didn't win a World Series there. He won at 97 with the Fish and 93 with Toronto. How about this? So Mark Leiter became the first major league pitcher to defeat all 30 teams in 2002. Wow. So he was, you know, there's plenty that had defeated all 28 when they pitched. Right. But once the D-backs and the uh, the D-backs come in with the, the Rays. Yeah, because the, the Rockies and the Marlins came in yes, uh, at the same right. time earlier. So he was the first one to do that. All right, so uh, you're at a minus 0.5 to start out with. I like it. Next, uh, wow, I do not know who this is. First baseman for the San Francisco Giants, Francisco Melendez. Melendez. I've never heard those two names put together in my life. Not sure who that is either. No offense, uh, Francisco, if you're listening to the show, which I assume you are. If? What's this if? Uh, now, do you think this might be a misprint, and because he's on the Giants, they made his name Francisco? <laughs> I, it could be. I could mean, be. it could be something crazy. <laughs> Let's see. Francisco Javier Melendez, five years in the big leagues, two with the Giants, two with the Phils, one with the Orioles. 1988 with the Giants. Uh, let's see. He played first base and left field. 29 games. A 192 average, 276 on base. No home runs. Three RBI. 40 OPS plus, And that is good for a minus point two. Uh, good news for you, though, is he's got a mustache, so it's only going to be a minus 0.1. This, uh, so far, your pack has been kind of like when we used to score them just using the uh, the value from Beckett's. <laughs> the Beckett value. Yeah. It's worth one cent again. <laughs> <laughs> Where 11 cents was a winning, a big score. Yeah. Then. So uh, after his career in the big leagues, he went on to play in Mexico for four years. But there are no stats there. But he played for a different team every year. So. <laughs> Good for him. All right, so you're at uh, minus 0.6 after two cards. Next, uh, well, you got some mustache money to play with here. Pitcher for the Mets, Terry Leach. At least we've heard of him. Yes. Let's see. Terry Hester Leach, 11 years in the big leagues, seven with the Yankees, two with the Twins, and two with the White Sox, and then one with the Royals. 
Uh, let's see, member of the 1991 World Series team with the Minnesota Twins. Let's see, in 1989, he split time between the Mets and the Royals. Overall, he went 5-6 and six with a 4.17 ERA, 95 innings pitch, 36 Ks, a 91 ERA plus. And altogether, that is going to equal a minus 0.5. <laughs> Hey, I tell you what, I am consistent. This pack seemed like it was destined for me more than you. Uh, he does have a mustache, though, so that will be a minus point four, if that's any consolation to you. Okay, guys, other direction. Guys, come on. Well, not a whole lot. Terry Leach was compelled, though, to write an autobiography. Uh, wow. Things happen for a reason. The true story of an inter... inter I, probably itinerant. Itinerant. I, I do not know what that word means. Life in baseball. I like to think of myself as having a pretty good vocabulary i don't know what itinerant is i can see it it is defined as traveling from place to place or a person who travels from place to place but yeah it's basically uh, probably the story of a guy who plays for every minor league team a nomad if you will there you go well why didn't you just say a nomad a, a, a baseball nomad don't try and flex smart. with these bigger words that's Come on now. All right. So you're at uh, minus point or you're not minus point one. You're at minus one. I like this minus one. All right. Now we've we've had this guy recently. It's Dr. Death, Danny Darwin. Oh, there you go. One of my favorites. The bottom bullet or Dr. Death. Danny Wayne Darwin played in the big leagues for 21 seasons, eight with the Rangers, six with Houston. Decided to finally leave the state of Texas. We played four years with the Red Sox and then a slew of other teams. In 1989, with the Astros, he went 11-4 and with a 2.36 ERA, 122 innings pitched, 104 strikeouts, and a 144 ERA+. Plus. And all of that will equal a war of 2.4. Plus he's got a mustache, plus he's got real stirrups. Woo, look at that. So that'll be a 2.6 from for Dr. Death there, and that'll take you up to a 1.6. You're, you're in the positive now. Danny comes through for me again. Uh, we talked about him recently. I, I know we just had him recently because we mentioned that he was uh, involved in that trade with Milwaukee where former guest Don August and Mark Knudsen were trading right. for him. So right. I think we can skip the rest of it and uh, we'll go right to a Diamond Kings card. And good news for you is there's a mustache on this Diamond Kings. There are real stirrups on this Diamond Kings and there's a Hall of Famer on this Diamond Kings. Nice. It's Mr. Padre, Tony Gwynn. We are... Quite big fans of Mr. Gwen on this show. Yep. Mr. Uh, Tony Gwen, Anthony Keith Gwen and his laugh. Always good stuff. Uh, let's see. 15 time all-star, five time gold glover, seven time silver slugger and an eight time batting champ in 1989. Good news for you. He won a gold glove that year. And he was an all-star. So there's points right off the bat for you. 158 games, led the league in hits, which, I mean, when didn't he? Led the mm -hmm. league in average, which, I mean, when didn't he? With the 336, 389 on base, four home runs, 62 RBI, 40 stolen bases. Wow. That's uh, not even his career high. Two years earlier, he stole 56 bases. That's very impressive. Overall, yeah. that is an OPS plus of 132, and that is going to equal a war of only 2.5. But he is a Hall of Famer, so that'll be 3.5. Uh, the two awards will make it 4.5, and then the mustache and the stirrups will make it 4.7. Tony Gwynn with over 300 career stolen bases. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, he was a, a great athlete, especially early in his career. Obviously, he, you know, lettered in two sports in college. I think he still holds a lot of basketball records at San Diego State. 
got a little bit large at the end of his career. He played till he was 41, but yeah, he was a really good athlete. He was, uh, could do it all. I got a bit large before the end of my career. Uh, so you know what? Uh, I've, I've cried only a couple of times when baseball has been involved. And uh, one of them though, was, I think it was, was it 1999 when the, or, or 98 when, I don't remember. It was right around that time when the uh, all-star game was in Fenway and mm-hmm. uh, everybody walked Ted Williams out to the mound for oh, one last yeah. time. And I, I, I welled up because Tony was right there and they were great yep. friends and just talked hitting all the time. And it was good stuff. Yeah. I, I will never forget that. That was a, a, a misty eye moment for myself too. All right. So you're at 6.3. Your next card is pitcher for the Rangers. So he's got a nice outline of a tin of chaw in his back pocket here as he winds up. It's left-hander Paul Kilgis. I remember Paul Kilgis. I would have nicknamed him Gas. I don't know if that is his nickname or not, but Paul Nelson Kilgis. Uh, six years in the big leagues, two with Texas, and then one with a bunch of other teams. 1989, one of those other teams with the Chicago Cubs, where he went 6-10 and 10 with a 4.39 ERA, 145 innings pitched, 61 strikeouts, 86 ERA plus. And that is, oh, you're back, uh, you're back on the horse again. That is a minus 0.8 war. He does have mustache and real stirrups, though, so that will just be a minus 0.6. I'm not really setting up for a, a huge score here. No. Well, and we're not opening scores either. So, yeah, he was involved in a big trade with the uh, the Rangers and the Cubs. This is how he got to the Cubs. He was sent there with Curtis Wilkerson, Mitch Williams and Steve Wilson for Jamie Moyer and Rafael Palmero. Hmm. Oh, and he coached the Bowling Green Kentucky team in the Little League World Series in 2015. Oh, very nice. All right, so you are at 5.7. You've got three cards left. Uh, you got a rated rookie here, pitcher for the San Diego Padres, Greg Harris. There were a couple Greg Harrises. Yeah, you never played on the Cardinals, though. Who is that? Chris Carpenter, where we always get mixed <laughs> there up. There were 11 Chris yeah. Carpenters. Yeah. All, yeah, that's confusing. Uh, let's see here. Greg Allen Harris played for 15 years in the big leagues. Uh, six with Boston, three with Texas, two with a couple of teams, one with a couple of teams. He got around, but, uh, you know, still, he's his uh, switch-hitting pitcher. I mean, what more do you want? Right. Oh, and now, I, I, it does have a mention here, and I, and I did, I was reading this literally just the other day. Greg Harris, at the end of his career, did pitch in a game where he pitched using both hands. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah, so... uh, He was amphibious. He was amphibious. Yeah, definitely one of those guys. 1989, he split time with the Phillies and the Red Sox. Overall, he went 4-4 with a 3.31 ERA, 103 innings pitched, 76 Ks, a 113 ERA plus, and all of that is good for a minus .3 war. (laughs) Now, he does have uh, real stirrups and a mustache, so it's only going to be a minus .1. I think you're challenging me, though, for the uh, most minuses in one pack. I'm, I'm running out of time to add points here. <laughs> well, I'm not going to complain. Seriously, this is every pack for me. I, <laughs> I feel no sympathy for you. I have nothing but sympathy for me, but that's just life in I general. I guess somebody has to, but. Yes. All right, so you got two cards left. You're at 5.6. Uh, this is one of my favorite players of this era. Unfortunately, this is not, you know, it's not the card uh, that if you've listened to this show, you know what my favorite Rick Shue card is. But here he is with the uh, Orioles Rick Shue. Really, really big shoe. 
really big shoe. How many, I'm wondering how many other major league players had a last name with one vowel and it was the last letter of the last name. Probably not many. But, Somebody uh, out there figure that out for yeah, us. Thanks. Somebody else do the work. Uh, Richard, Spen- <laughs> Richard Spencer Shoe, nine years in the big leagues, five with the Phils, two with the Orioles, and then one for the Expos, the Angels, and the Tigers. 1989, he split. You got a lot of guys split in time in this pack. Yeah. In uh, 89, he spent one game with the Orioles and 98 with the Tigers. Overall, he went, uh, let's see, hit 214, 278 on base, seven home runs, 21 RBI, and a 74 OPS plus. And uh, that is good. Well, good news for you. A war of exactly zero. That's a win for me. That is. Plus, you know, he's got a mustache, so you're going to get a tenth of a point there. Uh, I like this. He's holding his, his glove up kind of, you know, over his heart. And written on this in permanent marker in big letters is his last name. I guess they didn't really have the custom gloves back then when you could get your name stitched into it. So he just took like the biggest Sharpie he could find and put shoe on it. Kind of like Andy on the bottom of Woody's foot in Toy Story. That's exactly it. Jeff with the typical Disney reference. Big, big, big Disney guy. You know it. All right. So you are... To your last, uh, your last card, you're at 5.7. Uh, this is a good-looking card. It's taking an old Comiskey. And uh, let's see, it's the White Sox, and that's your team. So you're you're right out of the gate, you're at a positive 0.5. He's got real stirrups on, too. So you're at a positive 0.6, regardless of what happens. Well, I mean, he could have a minus 0.64. But to start out with, you're at 0.6. It is outfielder Dan Pasqua. Daniel Anthony Pasqua, 10 years in the big leagues, seven with the White Sox, two with the Yankees, who he came up with. In 1989 with the Sox, he hit 248, 315 on base, 11 home runs, 47 RBI, and a 111 OPS plus. And that is good for a war of 1.1 plus the 0.6. That is a 1.7 for you. You know, when you're relying on Dan Pasqua. I think he was your second biggest gainer after Tony Uh Gwen. That will bring your total up to 7.4. I think that's reachable. That's that's not the best score I've ever had. No, really, uh, really is not. All right, so uh, you're at 7.4. I have got some uh, 1992 Donruss here, so we're going to go ahead and uh, open these. All right. So score to beat is 7.4. I am going to start off with Q, first baseman for the Red Sox, who are my team. So, again, I'm starting right off with some positive points. Carlos Quintana. Oh, nice. I think, wasn't he nicknamed the Pineapple or something like that? He was. This is, by the way, folks, this is the Venezuelan pitcher, not the uh, boxer. Uh, The Venezuelan first baseman right fielder. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, not the boxer. Uh, I would get points if if we had a card of a boxer. I think that's a, a, one of those hidden rules. Okay, approved. I will approve yeah, that. There you go. Uh, let's see, Carlos Quintana, five years in the big leagues, all of it with Boston. Uh, great news for me. Didn't play in 92. <laughs> uh, played in 91, 93, did not play in 92. Uh, let's see, overall... <clears throat> For his career, 276 average, 350 on base, 19 home runs, 165 
RBI, a 94 OPS plus, and a career war of 2.7. Nothing here mentions uh, being nicknamed after a pineapple, but I, I could swear maybe it was just my friends and I would call him that. I don't know. <laughs> well, would you like to know why he missed 1992? Sure. Hit me up. Well, uh, he was involved in an automobile accident in Venezuela. He was rushing his two brothers to a hospital after they had been shot at a party. Got into an accident, broke his left arm and his right big toe. Yeah, this entire 92 season. Oh, that's uh, that's not good. Uh, also of interest here, he beat Bill Buckner out in 1989 as the first baseman for the Red Sox. And then uh, in 93, Mo Vaughn beat him out for the first base job. So there's kind of a progression of how how the first base job went from uh, from in between three players there. Yeah. Oh, this is uh, kind of interesting. In 1989, he played a game in Pawtucket, which at that point was their the Boston AAA team, and uh, the same day also played in Fenway for the Red Sox. So he must have played a day game in Pawtucket, got called up, jumped in a car, and uh, then played that night in uh, Fenway. Uh, next card here is third baseman for the Cardinals. Got some good uh, science teacher glasses. Stan Royer. Let's see, four years in the big leagues, four with St. Louis, and then part of a year with the Red Sox. In uh, 1992, he appeared in 13 games for the Redbirds, 323 average, 333 on base, two home runs, nine RBI, a 158 OPS plus, and, well, it's a positive, a .2 plus the sunglasses is a .3 in the positive direction, so I am ahead of your pace at this point. (laughs) Yes. Let's see, first round draft pick by the A's in 1988 draft, traded by Oakland to St. Louis. Oh, he was part of that deal where the A's sent Felix Jose to the Cardinals for Willie McGee. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Last, we know Royer is the president of uh, a financial advisory, financial uh, investment advising and wealth management firm based in St. Louis. So if you are in St. Louis and need some financial advisement, please consider Stanley Royer. (laughs) It's a free commercial for you, Stan. So if you ever want to be on the show, we'll talk to you. Oh, yeah. I'm more than happy to talk to Stan Royer. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Next card, I am at point nine, is pitcher for Cleveland. It is Jeff Shaw. Jeffrey Lee Shaw. Wow. 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, Four with the Dodgers, three with the Reds, three with the Expos, three with Cleveland, one with the White Sox. And in 1992 with Cleveland, he only appeared in two games. Took a loss in one of them, a ERA of 8.22, seven innings pitch, three strikeouts, 50 ERA plus. I don't like where this is headed, and that is a war of minus 0.2. He does have glasses on, though, so that will only be a minus 0.1. And I feel I'm still ahead of your pace, but I'm not exactly putting any distance between us. First round draft pick by Cleveland in the 86 draft and uh, was traded by the Reds to the Dodgers for Paul Canerco in 1998. Oh, that's interesting. He is the father of infielder Travis Shaw as well. Oh, the uh, he had a cool nickname. The mayor of Ding Dong City. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you said cool nickname and the mayor of Ding Dong City is the first thing that came to mind. I'm sure. All right, next, got a pitcher here. <laughs> I feel like my pack is uh, pretty much the same as yours at this point. Pitcher for the Blue Jays, Bob McDonald. Bob, not Ben McDonald. Six years in the big leagues, three with Toronto, 
one with the Mets, Yankees, and Detroit Tigers scattered about 1992 with Toronto. Well, he appeared in 27 games, so that's a lot more than most of these other guys. Had a record of 1-0, and zero, 47 innings pitched, 26 strikeouts, a 94 ERA+. Plus, and that is good for a war of 0.1. And nothing else on this card is going to help me out. Hmm. Again, I'm, I'm at least headed the right way, but not quickly. Not quickly at all. He did play, uh, it looks like, I don't know if it was a full year, but in 97, he played uh, in Japan for the Hanshin Tigers. It says here, I, I don't know how long ago it, this was, but managed a semi-pro slow-pitch softball team in Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm at point nine. This one might get me some points. I feel like this one might even push your, your total here. Uh, I have got, uh, he's listed as a DH here for the... Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. I guess this is an all-star card. It's Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, this could get you some points here. Yeah, Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Roberto Martin Antonio Bonilla. 16 years in the big leagues. Six of it with Pittsburgh, five with the Mets, and then a bunch of other teams. Let's see, in 1992, one of his rare non-all-star years at this point, it was his first year with the Mets. 128 games played, hit 249, 348 on base, 19 home runs, 70 RBIs. I don't think this is going to help a whole lot. <laughs> 121 OPS plus, and uh, all of that is going to equal a war of 1.4. Well, it's positive. Yeah, he's also got a mustache, as he always did, so that'll be a 1.5. But I don't know, does Bobby Bonilla Day count as a pop culture reference hmm. enough? <laughs> Probably not. I would, if it were, if, if it you were had a bigger score, maybe, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I was way ahead, absolutely it should count. Of course, uh, Bobby Bo uh, included in one of the biggest trades in baseball history where he was traded by the Marlins with Jim Eisenreich, Charles Johnson, and Gary Sheffield to the Dodgers for Mike Piazza and Todd Zeal. Yes. Mania, uh, well, for scoreboard operators and official scores, infamously called the press box during a game to complain about an error he was charged with. Well, his mind was, well, he was focusing on the game at least, at least <laughs> part of it. I had manager twice on two occasions, a manager of the team when I was official scorer, call me at work the next day. <laughs> I, one of the conversations went like this. So do you remember that play in the fourth inning with two down? How am I going to remember that the next day? Did you change? Well, I mean, it must've been a close play. I'm, I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm sorry. You know, I just I just assume that everybody's mind is a steel trap like mine. And I, I, I keep forgetting that not everybody is, is uh, you know, sharp. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. If you want to do that, go ahead. Uh, of course, Bobby Bo, uh, dominoes and cards enthusiasts, supposedly in the uh, clubhouse with Ricky during the 99 NLCS. Uh, Bobby Benioday. Hey, Mark, it's two months from today. July oh, 1st. Oh, boy. We'll start the countdown there. Also, uh, he invested heavily in the uh, Ponzi scheme, the Madoff, uh, Bernie Madoff oh. scheme. So uh, good thing he's got income still coming in. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got four cards left here. Oh, I got a Hall of Famer. I like it. Uh-oh. Hall of Famer for the uh, Cubs, second baseman, Ryan Sandberg. One and only Rhino. I just think Ryan is such a cool name, too. It is a cool name. What if I changed my name legally to Ryan? Go for it, man. You think that would stick? You think I should do that? Uh, Let's see. Ryan D. Sandberg. So as cool as his first name is, middle name, not as cool. (laughs) I'm going to get a phone call from D. Snyder or or 
what who Man. what other what other D's are there? You know how much I would love to get a phone call from D. <laughs> yeah, that would oh that would be gosh. pretty cool. Would make my year. Right not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Rhino, sixteen years in the big leagues. Uh, this is pretty easy. Of course, fifteen with the Cubs and those lonely thirteen games that all Philly fans rue in 1981 before he was traded uh, in a very lopsided uh, deal. Uh, let's see. Overall, in 1992, good news for me, all-star is year, uh, as, as well that year. 12th in MVP and won a silver slugger as well. 158 games, hit 304, 371 on base, 26 home runs, 87 RBI, only eight triples. Uh, actually, that ties his uh, second best year ever in triples behind 1984's 19. Overall, uh, let's see. Oh, he also stole 17 bags that year and had a 145 OPS plus. Let's see. That is going to equal a war of 7.8, which on its own is higher than your total. (laughs) (laughs) He is a Hall of Famer and uh, he did win uh, or he was an all star that year. So that is 9.3. And he's got flip down sunglasses here. So that will be a 9.4. Hey, what can I say? I got nothing negative I can say about Ryan Sandberg. No, you can't. Uh, Of course, that trade traded with Larry Boa for Yvonne de Jesus. When you want, when you look up lopsided trades, I mean, there's the Jeff Bagwell <laughs> trade, and I think there's the Ryan Sandberg trade. I think those are probably the definition yeah. of of lopsided. Those those are unfortunate for the teams that ended up on the short end of the stick. Now uh, we've mentioned that Rhino's from Spokane, Washington. It's, I think his parents might have a might have had a racket going on here. Uh, his mom was a nurse, and his dad was a mortician. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so send him my way. Yeah. Let's see. Was rena- was named for relief pitcher Ryan Duran, who was a reliever for it looks like I can't tell who this is. I guess I could click on his page here. Oh, the Washington Senators and the Baltimore Orioles. He played for one year. Uh one loss record of twenty seven and forty four. <laughs> but his ERA was only three point eight three. And he struck out 630. Okay, no, I'm sorry. He played for more than one year. He played from 54 to 65. That makes a lot more sense. Four-time All-Star and won a World Series in uh, 1958 with, uh, who would that have been? The uh, New York Yankees. I I did not know that. I was not aware of that either. Uh, Ryan's nephew is Jared Sandberg, who played in the big leagues for a while in the early 2000s. For if you look on eBay for the low, low price of only $500, you can pick up a copy of uh, Ryan Sandberg plays Bases Loaded 3 for the NES. <laughs> now, if you've got an NES game named after you, I'm going to have to say that you've got a pop culture reference named after you. Um, yeah, you know, what? I think you're right. Yeah, you got to You got to go with that one. All right. So uh, I'm at 12.3 with three cards left. Uh, oh, you're going to know who this is. Here he's listed as third baseman, and that might have been this might have been the year that Carney Lansford hurt his knee in the snowmobile accident. And uh, here, because here he's listed as third baseman for the A's, Scott Hemond. Oh, Hemo. Hemoglobin? Is that where that nickname came Everybody from? called him Hemo. That's all I know. He had an interesting habit. He would always leave 
money in his baseball pants pockets and I would do the laundry and there would be like five and $10 bills wasn't around in the laundry. Well, didn't you, didn't you tell a story at some point about finding like a, a big check from somebody that they left in their pants? <laughs> or what, yeah. <laughs> or what, I, I know I told a story about that, but I thought maybe it had happened to you as a, as a bat boy at one point. It, it happened when I was uh, cleaning up as an assistant clubhouse manager. And it was a check for like $17,000. And I was kind of laying in the dirt in the locker. <laughs> hey, we've all had it happen to us. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Scott Matthew Hemant, first round draft pick by the A's in 1986. Overall, seven years in the big league. Six with the good guys. Uh, one with St. Louis, one with the White Sox. In 1992, he split time between the A's and the White Sox. Uh, only hit 225, 289 uh, on base. No home runs, two RBI, 62 OPS plus. And that is good for a minus 0.1 war. But he does have flip down sunglasses, but he also has two and ones. So that'll still be a minus 0.1. Let's see. Uh, as a big leaguer, played every position at the MLB level except for shortstop and pitcher. Really? Yeah. And uh, if you venture on over to scottheemanbaseball.com, uh, you can uh, maybe sign up for some uh, some 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 lessons. Or he's got a he's got a page here called Hemo's Gear. Ooh. Let's see what we. Yeah, uh, you can buy bats. And uh, yeah, oh, bats, gloves, catcher's gear. You basically anything you want. Uh, Hemo can hook you up. Figures, man. Hemo knows what he's doing. All right, uh, two cards left. We've had this guy uh, before because he was a batting coach in Korea recently. Here he is for the Blue Jays, Rob Ducey. Okay. So we'll go quickly through Robert Thomas Ducey. 13 years in the big league, seven with the Jays, three with the Phils, then the Rangers, the Mariners, the Expos, and the Angels. Uh, let's see, in 1992... Boy, I got a lot of guys that split time as well. Uh, split time with the Jays and the Angels. Overall, hit 188, 233 on base, two RBI, no home runs, a 32 OPS plus. I hope this doesn't knock me back down to, holy mother of Moses. Minus 1.2 war. <laughs> that's pretty bad war. That is, uh, that's not good. Uh, I'm still in the lead handily, but come on, man. Uh, also played, uh, oh, he played for the uh, Nippon Ham Fighters in 1994. Oh, right on. As well. So congratulations to him there. Might have been uh, teammates with uh, Big Boss. All right, we're going to go to my final card. I am at 11 even. You are at 7.4. So as long as I don't get a couple of Rob Ducey's here on this one card, I think I'll be okay. It is a Diamond Kings. I, well, I might not get a lot of points, but I think I'll be okay. Because uh, in 1992, I'm not sure what kind of year uh, Doc Gooden had. Enough, good enough to get a Diamond Kings card. Well, that would be from the year before is uh, is what Diamond Kings are, are rewarding you for. Uh, and in 91, yeah, he went 13 and 7 with a 3.6 ERA. In 92, he went 10 and 13. Still with a, a 3.67 ERA, though, so that's not bad. 206 innings pitched, 145 inning or 145 Ks, and a 96 uh, OPS plus. And all of that, my goodness, in 1985, he had a war of 12.2. <laughs> so he had a good year is what you're saying. <laughs> 12.2. This year he had a 2.3. So no, uh, you know, almost up there. I'll take that now. Uh, I'm sure that he's got some pop culture references. I'm not sure they're probably very good. <laughs> 
Uh, of course, he was uh, originally scheduled to uh, to be the the second spitter in the Seinfeld uh, episode, uh, the boyfriend. But because of his off the field problems, uh, they opted to go elsewhere. But uh, American rapper Action Bronson mentioned Gooden in his 2015 song Baby Blue. So I'm going to give that a half a point uh, pop culture reference. Not that I need it. That'll be 13.8. That'll put me in the lead and. Uh, Temporarily, I am in the lead for the season with a, a three to two margin. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start talking about benching guys. Yeah, it's early in the season. You know, pitchers are still, still a little bit ahead of batters. Still, we're used to winning here in uh, whatever the name of my team is. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this round of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to start to wrap up the show. We appreciate you tuning in every week. Tell people about it. Rate, review, all that stuff if you haven't already. We really appreciate it. That helps us reach more. Uh, listeners, uh, if you want more of us, gonna admit, you know, if you've been following us on social media, haven't been that active. I think everybody knows why, especially if you've listened to last week's episode. Uh, but if you want to find us, you can find us basically anywhere at Two Strike Noise. That is T W O Strike Noise. And uh, Mark likes to curate a very exclusive email address. Yes, yes, and uh, if if you write it down, don't show anyone else. Burn it, burn it after you read it. <laughs> right, you can write to us at two strike noise. Spell it out: t w o strike noise at gmail If you do want to spray paint that on a on a local wall or write it in the subway, though, we wouldn't be mad at you. You get your own pop culture reference. With that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it uh, for this week, Mark. Let's do it again next week. Um, yeah. I guess we can do it. So we'll see everybody once again on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.